But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge again that we are, you are full and we are empty, that you are the supplier and that we are needy. And so we ask that as we consider this word today, just taking a brief break, break from John's gospel, that what we know not, you would teach us, what we have not, you would give us, and what we are not, you would make us. Lord Jesus, uh, this, there's, this is such a remarkable passage that if, we could, that, that if we could crack it, if we could understand it, and if we could, if we could apply it to our lives, we would, we would become so winsome and so, and so generous and so patient in a, world, in a world that is just filled with so much of the opposite. And, 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 and Lord Jesus, for, for some of us, when we hear, when we hear contentment, we, just, we, we may immediately think, nope, not going to happen. Not with this person or with this situation or with this job. I just ask that in all the ways that it is needed today, that the truth of your word would set us free. And that we would discover, make the discovery of contentment today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us that a man's, that a man's life does not exist in the abundance of his possessions. And that we should be content with what we have. For, you have, for he has said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper he is with me. What can man do to me? I pray that you, sh- that you, w- that you would teach us that we, that, that we have, that we have the best of all things. If we are in Christ, we have the best of all things. Amen. We have the highest of all things. We have the greatest of all things. My discontent makes no sense. And so help us now. We entrust ourselves to you as we direct, to, direct ourselves to your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can take your seats, friends. Thank you. Well, I, I, I am, as Stephen said, I'm just so grateful that you're here. Happy, happy July 4th uh, weekend. I, there is just so much to, uh, to give thanks for uh, today and to, be, and to be grateful for. I really hope that you have wonderful plans uh, with family and with friends. When, when I, July 4th has always been just one of my favorite holidays. It makes me think of summer. And uh, when I was younger, in some capacity, I was playing baseball in some way. It makes me think of summer and baseball and popsicles and fireworks and humidity, and, um, and, it's, just, and, and it's, just, it's just a really, really wonderful time. So thank you, God bless you, and um, thanks, thank you for your attention, attention to God's Word. Friends, the theme today is contentment. Uh, you, know, you know this passage well, you've read it before. It has a, it has a famous verse, verse 13. We're going to tackle that, and we'll get, to it. we'll get to it in just a few minutes. So really what we're wanting to think about is, this, is, is just this, uh, this essential Christian virtue, uh, this character trait, uh, this fruit that ought to be ours as a result of Christ in us. Uh, Christ with us, us unto Christ, us living in Christ. Uh, we're, we're, the, the, way, the, way the, the way the New Testament helps us think about what our lives ought to look like as disciples of Jesus is, is this lush, fruitful, 
plentiful garden with fruit being produced here, there, and everywhere for our neighbors and for our family and for our friends to see. And contentment is one of those things. And, 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 and I always find it helpful to learn or to get a picture of something by considering the flip side of something, considering its opposite. If, if every Christian characteristic is, is, is this good thing that we ought to, that we ought to be displaying uh, before people in front of us, then it, then it also has a vice. And, and, and the vice, of course, here would be discontent. And, I, and, and I, I dare say that for all of us, in some way, in a way that we may loathe, discontent has nestled its way into our hearts. Somehow and in some way and, 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 in some, and, and, and to some degree. And, and, and I think there's all, so, so how does, let's just consider discontent for a second. How, how, does, how does discontent grow? Well, if, if discontent is a tree that gets planted in the ground, and, 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 if, and, if, and, and if it has fruits to it, and I think that it does, if, 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 if discontent has fruits attached with it, then I think the fruits of discontent would be bitterness and resentment. When we're discontent, we're, we can become bitter and we become resentful. It can happen in our marriages. It can happen in our workplaces. It can happen in just everyday regular responsibilities. They can nestle their way in, in, into, our, in, into our hearts. And so, and so thinking about the virtue of contentment and all that it means, and we're going to get to a definition here in just a second, and, and, the, and the vice of that, which is discontent, and knowing how it grows and, what it, and the fruit it can produce, I think it's very obvious to me that the world in which we live in today is awash with discontent. I think you can trace much of the division and the hostility, and the us against them, to envy, coveting, the result of discontent, and its fruits of bitterness and resentment. Amen. I saw yesterday on, a, on social media a, 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 just a little promotional ad for a 4th of July party, but it was an anti-America 4th of July party. It was, uh, but, but ironically, ironically, it was asking for people to gather at a local park, not here in Des Moines, it's in a completely different state, at a local park for fireworks and for food and for all of those sorts of things. Ironically, the bottom said red, but it's just the ad, bring comfortable shoes, a chair, and your anger. A wash. Okay, so... so Anger could be a fruit of discontent. Sin comes in bunches. It comes in bundles. It's not just one thing. It's typically a number of things. And so we want to, we want to learn about contentment. We want to, we, if we could see the opportunity to be a content people, to be content moms and dads, content grandparents, content employees, content husbands and wives and, and content and across all the responsibilities of our life, we have this wonderful opportunity to be winsome and peaceable in our world if we can embrace it. So um, in just a second, we'll get to our outline. So the book of Philippians is well known. Um, it, it really, the book of Philippians, I think, is really in the Bible to help us understand the kind of person the gospel can create. Paul is in prison. He's writing to a church that sent him a generous gift that he received through a man named Epaphroditus. The main point of the book is for Paul to thank this church for sending him that gift. But he goes off on all sorts of things, about, mainly about joy and about rejoicing. And he's so thankful for them and for all the things that they've, that they've given him. And it tells us the kind of person that the gospel creates. Amazingly, Paul is in prison, and yet he is happy, Amen. incredibly happy. 
And that's the kind of person that the gospel, the gospel creates. In this section here, chapter 4, verses 1 to 23, he's helping us understand what the Christian way of life is and how we are to continue living this Christian way of life, this, this long obedience in the same direction, this, this Christian way of life that Dave and Mike are just beginning to, to embark on. They, they know about it, but now they, they've declared to us and to the world, that's our way of life. We're going to live that way now. And so he tell, Paul tells them to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. Rejoice when you're in prison. Rejoice when you're not in prison. He tells them to agree in the Lord and to unite around the things that are essential. He tells them that they should meet their every anxiety with constant prayer. He tells them, he tells them that in this Christian walk of life, their minds matter. And they should be intentional about what they think about. And then he tells them that there is a secret to discover, the secret of contentment. Three points today, friends, as we, as we tackle this. The first, I want to start with a definition, a definition of contentment from which we can work from. The second, I want us to really meditate together on verses 11 and 12, 11 and 12, and really just wring them out for all that they're worth and, uh, and, and make some observations there. And then point number three, we'll tackle verse 13. And see, and see how it all fits together. And then I have a question for us at the end. And so may the Lord help us and equip us to be contented, wise, winsome people in our world today. So friends, let's start with a definition. Uh, point number one on your notes there, a definition for contentment. Contentment is a satisfaction in and acceptance of God's fatherly care. Contentment is a satisfaction in and an acceptance of God father, God's fatherly care. I, 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 as often as I can, I want to encourage every disciple of Jesus Christ, all of those who have looked away from their sin, repented of their sin, transferred their trust onto Jesus, acknowledged their need for a Savior, put all of their weight, all of their reliance, their wholehearted selves onto the durable, reliable Christ to do as, to as often as they can think of God as Father, that you as a Christian have at least two things, a father and a family, and that you are being fathered. You're being loved. You're being cared for. You're being watched over. Just think of Psalm 121. The Lord never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's, he's always with me. When I lay my head down and go unconscious, he's watching. To think about this often, and so to be content is to be satisfied in and, and, and have an acceptance of his care of us. Now, there was a pastor in the year 1600 named Jeremiah Burroughs, Jeremiah Burroughs. And, um, and he, he, he uh, at that time, he was an English pastor. And at that time, there was, there was great, uh, it, was, it was a civil war was happening in England. A lot of things were up in the air, uh, very similar to the world in which we live in today. Listen, I'm, I'm nervous about all the same things that you're nervous about. I find myself easily tempted to be content about, discontent about all the things that you are. And Jeremiah Burroughs lived in, a, lived in a very similar time. And so he, he said, he, he, as a pastor, just as a pastor, I'm fascinated by this idea. He said, what do my people need most? Upheaval and uncertainty is everywhere. What do they need most? And he said, as a pastor, they need contentment. And so he wrote this little book. You can still get it today. It's, there's a free PDF copy online, or you can get it off Amazon for a couple of bucks Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a book titled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And, and, and that book is still in print. It's over 400 years old. And I think it's still in print 
because he was right. We need contentment. We need a host of other things too. But we certainly need this virtue. In this book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, I would commend it to you. It's very readable. He gave this definition. I believe it will be on the screen as I read it. He said this, just expanding on what I, on what I have. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Read that one more time. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights, is satisfied with and accepts God's, who? God the Father's wise, wise. He knows the best ends and the best means. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the best, what's the best goal and what's the best way of getting there. That's a wise person. A wise person knows that's, that's the next best thing and the best way to get there. That's wisdom. Wise and fatherly disposal he chooses in every condition. There's a particular way of, a particular mindset that I think it's helpful for us to do our, do our best to dismantle if we can. And that way of thinking, I'm going to come back to this idea, there's a couple of ways of thinking that I want us to try to dismantle or better yet renew our minds as we think about this. And, and, and one, of, one of those is this, I will be content if I arrive at my perceived ideal circumstances. I will be content if I arrive at my ideal perceived circumstances. That's a way of thinking we have to, we have to dismantle. I am discontent because there's something I do not have. I don't, maybe if you're, if you're like me, I sit in traffic and daydream about my ideal circumstances. And often it sounds like this. I just tried to think of a framework for how to, how to think this through. I think often it sounds like this. Better this, better that. New this, new that. More of this, more of that. Less of this, less of that. We think, we think that through. If I could have more of this or if I could have more of that or less of this or less of that, then I would be content. And that way of thinking just must be dislodged from our worldviews. Paul's going to tell us that is, not, that is not what Paul learned. Paul did not learn that. Of course, if I get, number one, I, I am clueless most of the time as to what's best for me. Clueless. And so are you. I don't know what's best for me most of the time. Now, I think wisdom, as we grow in wisdom, we'll have a better idea, but, but if left to, left to myself, I think, we're, I think we're really in dire straits. So we need to consistently go back to this idea of God as a father who is, who is doing everything to give his fatherly care to us. And as John Newton said, everything is necessary that he sends, nothing is necessary that he withholds. And so that starts, this acceptance and satisfaction starts with believing two things, friends, two things. Father is the Christian name for God. And number two, he is not just any father, but the perfect father, the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, the one from whom all blessings flow, the one who knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, I said just a moment ago um, that, uh, that, that we may, when we, when we even hear the word contentment, we may think, you're, you're, you're just dreaming. You're living, you're living in another world. That's just, that's so, that feels so impossible Given the, given the situation that I'm in. Well, that, that's okay. 
If we feel that way, that's okay, because we're going to learn as we look now, uh, go into point number two, and really consider verses 11 and 12. I want us to really meditate on verses 11 and 12 together. There's great hope and encouragement in this passage, I think. Well, it's either, um, let me just give you the point, and then I'll say what I, what I think it could be for us. Friends, number two, what we learn from, from Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12, is that contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. Now, that, that's, either, that's either very hopeful or very discouraging. Okay? You've been asked, were you a good student or a bad student? Okay? I've been asked that. You've been asked that. All right? I don't want to do… We, we're not going to do any raising of hands. Okay? That… The fact, that, the fact that Paul will tell us he learned contentment, in this, that's the main point. Paul's going to say, I learned contentment. That's what he's, he's going to say it twice. The fact that he did that could either be, oh, great, or, yeah, that's really good. So I, w- I, wanna, I want our attitude now to be, yes, that's really good. I can learn this. I, c- I can learn contentment. And so, friends, contentment is learned. Now, okay, so let's, let's take a look at verses 11 and 12, and let's read them together, and I want us to ring them out for all that they're worth. Let's start in verse 11 of Philippians 4. Let's read it again and hear it once more. Paul writes, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So, the first basic point here is that contentment is not natural to our nature. Contentment is not natural to our nature. We don't, just by the sheer fact that Paul had to learn this, tells us that we do not come into the world preloaded to be satisfied with and in an accepting spirit of God's fatherly care. Um, think about, think, when I mean preloaded, I mean think about, think about your phone. Uh, so my, my iPhone comes preloaded with certain things. When I bought it, there's a weather app, um, there's, uh, there's a settings button, there's a clock. When I get it, it just comes with that. Well, when, when you and I come into the world, we come preloaded with two things, dignity through the image of God and depravity through a sinful nature. Dignity through the image of God and depravity through a sinful nature. And that, and that second one, that, so, so the dignity piece is why, is why we celebrate so much the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision. Because all people have dignity, value, and worth from the moment of their conception by virtue of their being made in God's image. Everyone's valuable. Everyone matters. God made it that way. But, but, but the depravity side of, uh, of this means that we are, we are affected. Every part of us is affected. Uh, we, we bring into the world a rebellion that covers all of us. It stains every part of us. Think of, think of a plane of glass or think of a mirror that's shattered just from top to bottom. Just shards, I mean, it's just, it's not as it should be. Now, so, so the mirror, the mirror, it, 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 it looks, you can still see yourself, but it's distorted. That's who we are. We don't, come pre, we don't come preloaded with this. It is a Christian virtue that is to be learned, that is brought to us through union with Christ, and that is learned. And again, I want this to be hopeful for us. So all of the ways, all of the ways in which we feel discontent has nestled into our hearts, may the truth of his word set us free. Friends, Paul learned this. He had to learn it. Now, here's what I want you to notice as well. I want you to notice, uh, so, so again, let's notice the word that he uses. He uses it twice. In verse 11, he says, I've learned in whatever state. 
And then in verse 12, in the second half, he says, everywhere and in all things, I have learned. Now, this is a very unique word, so unique that it's used only once, or in this case twice, in the entire New Testament. This is the only, this is the only occurrence of this word you'll ever find. And, and the word means not just to learn something, but to discover something that was hidden or that was before unknown. And so, some translations of the Bible will actually read it like this. Maybe your translation says, uh, says this. I'm just, I'm just quoting different translations of verses 11 and 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, listen, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is the English Standard Version. It reads like this. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and need. Paul made a discovery, the discovery of contentment. Think about how exciting a discovery is when you, when you find something or when you, an adventure story where you go on a quest and you discover this thing, or think of the scientist who spent years and years and years to finally crack and to make that discovery that could save so many lives. There's so many examples we could give, but the way we ought to approach verses 11 and 12 is with this spirit. What is greater than the, or there's all sorts of things. I, what's, the, what's that main, I was trying to think this week of examples, that that, that that like classic um, discovery or that classic fantasy is the long-lost relative who died and left us a large sum of money, you know, discovering that. Uncle, Uncle Elmer, you know, discovered oil, and you're his lone heir, you know, and you get all that money. That, how great would this is massive windfall? You know, how great would that be? Well, well what, is greater, what is greater than the discovery of silver or gold or of riches untold? It is the discovery of contentment. It is the discovery of a, sat- of, a, of a satisfaction of an inward, quiet, gracious spirit, no matter if you have riches or not. That's the discovery. That, that's what will make us wise and winsome. If we can get this, this passage, every time I read it, it gets bigger and bigger, and I just say, yeah, I want that so badly for myself, for my family. I want, I want, I want it for my children. You get, you get the whole preloaded, you have to learn contentment thing if you have little kiddos. I have three children in my house that are old enough to know that when we pour out a bowl of grapes, they know, I don't think you counted those out because someone has more. <laughs> oh, oh, hold on, Slick. What is this, amateur hour? You didn't count this. <laughs> is this your first time parenting? Yeah? So, look, look, here, here's what I want my kid. Here's, here's the interplay between contentment and discontentment. Here's what I want. Here's what we do. We're not grateful for the five we have. We loathe them because they have seven. That's what we do. I want my kids, I, I tell my kids all the time, why don't you be grateful for the time you were able to ride your bike? That's, that's, that's what we do. We have to learn this. It's not preloaded. So we want to make this discovery. Now, I want you to look at this idea of what Paul says. Now, I want you, I'm going to read the verses again, and I want you to notice a few words. I want you to notice the words whatever, any, and all. Whatever, any, and all. Verse 11, now I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then in verse 13, I can do, what's the word? All, everything, comprehensive. What is Paul saying? What did he learn? What? Here's the question. What did Paul learn? Let's ask what and let's ask how. What did he learn? He learned a contentment for any circumstance. 
a contentment for any circumstance. Paul's contentment is comprehensive. We see this with the use of the words whatever, any, and all. I told you that 4th of July makes me, think, makes me really think of baseball. I, just, I grew up playing baseball, and um, if you, if, you know, uh, the, the, the conversation is always, what makes, what, makes someone, what makes a baseball player a good hitter? It makes them a good hitter. I, uh, you know, so um, I was just thinking back on some of my memories. I, I grew up watching, when I was young, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Ken Griffey Jr. was right at the end of his career. Man, what a swing. Oh, my goodness. If you, if you want to treat yourself today, this would be a really cool 4th of July thing to do. Just go home and YouTube the 1999 home run derby between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. I mean, every other hit is just, is just out of the park. It's just incredible. Now, they were taking some things they shouldn't be doing, shouldn't have been taking. But the entertainment value is really high. I'm not condoning anything. I'm just saying, those guys, I mean... They just hit the ball with one arm, and it was going out. So. But you take like a Ken Griffey Jr. You, if you don't know who he is, he just had this classic baseball swing. Ken Griffey Jr. had a sweet spot. If you threw the ball to Ken Griffey Jr., inside and low and inside, over the right field fence. But what makes, a really, but what makes the classic hitters are the guys that can hit the ball wherever it's pitched. Paul could hit the ball wherever it was pitched. You gave Paul a circumstance, and he could be content. That's what he learned, and that's what we have the opportunity to learn. And then now, now, not just notice how comprehensive, but I want you to notice the pairings, the pairings that he uses. Look at verse 12. Verse 11 is just general. I've learned to be content in whatever state. Now look at verse 12. I know how to be abased, that is, in a very poor situation, just run down, ragged, weary, and I know how to abound, complete opposites, opposite ends of the spectrum. Everywhere and in all things, and he gives another list of pairings. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, this is amazing. So Paul, Paul, says, he, he, Paul says basically this, I've learned to be content when I don't get the promotion and when I do get the promotion. Empty and full, abased and abounding. One way of thinking we need to dismantle is, if I arrive at my ideal circumstances, I will be content. Duh. Well, here's another way, here's another way of thinking we can dismantle. Of course I will be content if, just saying it another way, of course I will be content if I get what I was hoping for. Now, now listen, there's, there's, there is absolutely, there ought to be gratitude from being in one particular situation and the Lord lifting us out and putting us into another one. That is absolutely the case. It's, uh, uh, that's salvation. <laughs> you, were, you were in a horrible, unimaginably damned state, and he saved you. Amen. That ought to produce gratitude. But, but friends, I love Paul's pairings. He says, I'm not, just cont- I'm not just patient when I have nothing. I'm humble when I have everything. Look, 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 look. It can be just as difficult to spiritually manage success as it is to spiritually manage failure. Amen. That's what he's saying he did. He, he, he's saying, I, I, can, I, can, I can do both. So, so if, I, if, I get, if I get my ideal circumstances, if I achieve those, and yes, now I'm content, what, why would I assume that I would then be content if I get better this, better that, more this, more that, less of this, less of that? Why would I not assume that my sinful heart would just be greedy for more? You see? He could be content if he had it or if he didn't have it. It's this full-orbed contentment. Friends, plenty can be just as difficult to manage as empty. Yeah. 
I was listening to a podcast recently with Paul David Tripp. Uh, Paul David Tripp is an author. He's most known for his parenting and marriage things. Um, but he was on a podcast being interviewed about success in ministry. He was talking to pastors, but, but I, think, I think the lessons just apply to all of us. Um, he, said, he said, I have become convinced. I have become convinced that ministry success can be far more dangerous than ministry failure. He said, because success can make us believe things about ourselves that are not true. Like... I no longer need God. Paul didn't think that way. He could be abased and he could abound. That's what we have the opportunity to learn. Comprehensive, full across the whole of our lives. Now the question is, well, how did he learn it? That's what he learned. Well, how did he make the discovery? The same way you learn anything. He went to school. When we became Christians, we were enlisted in God's army, and we were enrolled in his university. The school of contentment is God's, and he is giving the lessons. He is giving the drills. He is asking the questions. He is determining the right exercises at the right time in the right way for his students. We see this with every biblical character. He brings them into particular situations that, that will then shape them and mold them. And if they, if they can go through that situation with teachability and with humility like the patient on the table when the surgeon cuts, the surgeon says, I've got to make this cut. You have to have it. It's going to heal you. But if you, if, if you squirm and if you get up, it's not going to do the work it has to do. It may be painful. It may hurt. You may not like it, but it's necessary. And that's what he does with us. He puts us through his school. He puts us on the table. The question for me and for us is, how teachable am I? It's not, does he want to grow us? It's how receptive am am I to the lesson? I told my wife this week, I'm preaching on contentment, so brace yourself. That's that's it. And, And look, God's not maniacal. He's good. He's not sinister. We're not little mice in a cage. He's a father. I, uh, I, I, uh, I taught something really cool happened yesterday, y'all. You ready? My four-year-old took her training wheels off her bike and was riding all over the place like she was Lance Armstrong. So I did the whole thing, you know, but here's the deal. You got to let go. You know, you got to let go. And she just had it. This little girl, I mean, for the first four months of her life, our daughter Hattie had hip dysplasia. So her hips, just the way she was in the womb, her hip, you could pop her hips out of socket. You know, your hip is a socket and has to sit there, right? And here she is riding this bike. It was just incredible. Well, I had to let go. All right? I had to let go. We have to, he, he, he wants to grow us. He wants to, you, he wants us to, he wants to exercise us. And this is what he does with every biblical character. He brings us into situations that the question is, how teachable am I? How willing am I to work? I kept saying, Hattie, you have to pedal. You have to you gotta pedal. You got to get yourself going. You got to pedal. And eventually she got it. Am I teachable? We see, if you were to trace Paul's life, you would see abased and abounding, full and empty, need and hunger. You would see all of them in his life. And I think it was across the range of his life he learned these things. Now, you may be thinking, I've, I've already said it a couple of times, I've said um, maybe we're, we've got discontent nestled in our hearts. We may think about a particular person or situation. Discontent seems so far out of reach. I read some commands in the Bible, and I think God thinks I'm somebody I'm not because that one's challenging. And so maybe we just think this is unattainable. It feels unattainable. Well, There's hope for us here, too, because number three, friends, we're going to tackle verse 13, and this is really the kicker. We learn here that contentment comes through Christ. 
Contentment comes through Christ. Verse 13 famously says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or, as it has been stated before, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. That's most often how we hear it, and that's most often how we know it. It's used as, a, as validation for complete success with anything I attempt. Well, that's how we mostly know this verse. And so what, what do we do when we take it? Now, it, I'm going to connect it to the context in just a second. But what do we do when we take a verse out of context? It just means we consider it in isolation, as if it existed all on its own, without the rest of the argument or the paragraph. Or the, and it's a dangerous thing to do. Listen, it's a dangerous thing to read verses out of context. You can, you can really make some major errors doing that. And the history of the church is filled with them. And so we want to be humble. We want to learn. We want to, uh, we want to give ourselves to God's divinely ordained context. Now, when we remove this from its context, you just, if you just had Philippians 4.13, you'd be like, I'm going to go I'm going to go split the atom. I'm going to go find the cure for cancer. You can do all kinds of things. But we know if you follow any Christian around for an hour, you know this cannot mean that I ought to expect complete success with anything I attempt. It simply cannot mean that. So if we place it in context, if we remove it from the context of a man having learned contentment in any and all things, then it would sound like that. But listen, it's very simple. If we put it back in that context then total success in anything we attempt is not what it could mean, but, but it would mean that within that divinely anchored context, in that context of plenty and empty, abounding and abased, learning, to be con- learning a contentment for any circumstances, then I can do all things. Amen. Do you see that? When you put it there, the, he already said whatever. If the, if, if the I can do all things is, I'll hit it where it's pitched. What can stop us? Give me much, give me little. I have Christ, I have his word, I have his people. The worst it's ever going to get is my worst day here. My best days are way ahead of me. When we present it like that, it could seem that way. Now, what is he saying with through Christ who strengthens me? If I've presented this well, verses 11 and 12 ought to seem, they ought to seem unattainable. They ought to seem very difficult to achieve. And they are in our own strength. That's the kicker at the end of the verse. I've read, you've read this a thousand times, through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul doesn't say I can do all things as if to give us the impression that contentment is brought about by some usage of our willpower but rather that it comes through an, through an expression of Christ's strength through us. The living and reigning Christ, drawing strength from him, is a theme in the Bible. It's why Paul did what he did, and it's why we can do what we can do. Famously, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prays to the Lord three times about a thorn that he had. He just calls it a thorn. We don't know exactly what it is, but I bet Paul learned contentment through it. And so he's got it. He, whatever it is, he has it for his whole life. He prays three times for God to take it away, for Jesus to take it away. And somehow, the Lord Jesus directly spoke to Paul because in 2 Corinthians 12, it's recorded, I think accurately, in our Bibles in red letters as a direct answer from the reigning Christ. And Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What does he mean when he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness? That word perfect is telos. It, 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 it's a word that means when something, it's, it's it purposeful. Uh, there's purpose behind this. There's an end to this. What he means is this, uh, my power and your weakness were made for each other. They complete each other. 
your emptiness and my, and, and my fullness, perfect match. You've never met two things more compatible than your weakness and my strength. And he says, and that's, what he, and, that's what he, and, and that's the strength we draw from. We look to Christ through faith. We say, help me. Help. You will give me strength. You will give me, there is such a thing as supernatural help from the living Christ. By his spirit, he lives in us. Robert Murray McShane was a Scottish pastor, and he was counseling a man in his church one time, and this, this young man, and he was saying, I, and the young man just kept saying, I, I can't do this, and I wish I had this, and I, and I can't have that, and, 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 and he just kept saying, I, 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 and McShane stopped him and said, just stop with that. For every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. And I don't know why. I, I don't know why it wouldn't make any sense to me that if we ought to take ten looks at Christ, we should not take 10,000 looks at Christ. We ought to just look at him constantly, away from ourselves to him. Make it our aim to spend our energies admiring and extolling him and drawing strength from him. Here's the point. To be really, truly, and finally content, we do not need ideal circumstances. We need Christ. You need Christ. Elizabeth Elliot is, uh, was, the, was, the, was the wife of the martyr Jim Elliot in Ecuador. She, so, she said in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. She said, the secret, and she has to be thinking about these verses, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Now look, 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 that little phrase has saved me a lot of sleepless nights. The secret is Christ in me. Friends, there is always, you could always envision a better circumstance. It's a fallen world. It could always get better. This place is wrecked. Don't set your hope here. Now, I have a question for us. As we live through Christ, here's the basic question as we draw ourselves to a close. Am I learning contentment? Am I learning contentment? What is a Christian? A Christian, I think, can be defined as an incomplete work in progress. We all have over our lives... Whether, we, whether, whether we're just starting out like Dave and Mike or whether we've been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive, under construction, pardon the noise, road work ahead, closed off for renovations. My neighbor across the street's redoing his bathroom. We were talking to him the other day. He's got all this stuff piled up. He said, man, it's a project. And I thought, well, so am I. <laughs> we're all learning and growing and progressing. We're shining brighter and brighter until full day. I've heard new Christians just at the beginning ask, will I always battle with this sin? And I've heard older Christians say, this sin still? That's what we are. That's our lived experience, this side of glory. And we want awareness and teachability. We, uh, I, I shared that we traveled. We, we want to be teachable. We, wanna, we want God to teach us. We, sh- we traveled to Portugal, and uh, the part we didn't share, the, the team that I didn't share, guys, sorry to bring back bad memories, uh, we, we, so we had a number of connections, and we had some major cancellations. So the weekend of June 17th and 18th, that weekend, there were over 6,000 flight cancellations from American-based airlines, and we were right in the middle of it. Needless to say, we were two hours late from our flight to Chicago to get to Madrid, from, flew from Madrid to Lisbon, and we ended up missing our flight. We sat for 12 hours in the Madrid airport. So we all speak Spanish now, and... <laughs> No, we at least know how to order Starbucks in Spanish um, and McDonald's. But, but, but one, of our, one of our team members who, for his own safety, will remain nameless, um, said, you know, I had been praying for patience. 
So all week we're all like, uh, could you do us a favor and not do that again? <laughs> could you pray for urgency or for speed or for effectiveness? Pray for Delta Airlines, man. Like, pray. <laughs> Friends, we want to be teachable. We want to be teachable. We want to know that we have the one thing that we, we, we have the best thing. We want to know that our Father is sovereign over all things, good in all things, and wise in all of His ways. That He loves us, that He cares for us. We want to know that we already, as we fight to crucify discontent, follow our complaints, be content with Christ, we want to fight knowing we already have the best thing, the highest thing, the greatest thing. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has removed every barrier to our everlasting enjoyment of the best thing, the highest thing, the greatest thing, God himself. What more do we want? We have him. We have all things in one. If something is denied us, all right, we have him. If we have something not as good as him, You've got to think, we've got to think this way and preach ourselves into this kind of attitude. And if we do not have this, if we do not have this, if we do not have this Christ, there is no better place to be than here. To trust in Christ, to, ha- to have him living through you, to be under Christ and with Christ and for Christ and like Christ and living through him. Friends, if we can believe these things, then we can be winsome and we can be wise in the world in which we live. Now, I want us to just settle in. Just bow your heads there where you are. I'm just going to speak some things over us, and then I'm going to pray as we conclude. And so we're, we're thinking about contentment, friends, and we're wanting to be satisfied with God's fatherly care. And so a question would be, am I trusting, am I, am I, am I, am I discontent or content in my current circumstances? Where and how have bitterness and resentment nestled their way into my heart? Where have bitterness and resentment nestled their way into my heart? Do I have Christ through the gospel? Do I need to trust in Christ today? Do I need to come and talk to a pastor or someone else say, I, I'm discontent and I'm bitter and I'm tired and I'm weary of this world and, I, and, 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 and I've come to the end of myself and, I, and, and I'm, so dis, I'm discontent with myself. I'm dissatisfied with myself and I need a Savior. Are we teachable and willing to learn and willing to pray the hard prayers so that God can chisel us and make us into something beautiful as we travel on to glory? And so, Lord Jesus, I just ask now that you would apply these lessons to our hearts in all the ways that we need them. I pray that you would teach us contentment. I pray that we would come to Christ if necessary. I pray that we would be satisfied over the next couple of days, that we would be satisfied with with your gifts and your grace and your kindness to us. Most of all, Lord Jesus, we pray that we would consistently preach to ourselves that we have the one thing we must have, the best of all things, the greatest of all things, and the highest of all things. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen.